0: Resolute Square. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list, which is rather extensive and continually being updated. Democrats want Republicans dead.
1: Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions.
0: On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. No, it's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real.
1: (laughs) I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Our guest today is Tristan Snell. He is an attorney, He prosecuted Donald Trump in the New York AG's office. You've seen him on MSNBC, and he is the author of a tremendous new book coming out on January 30th of this year called Taking Down Trump. Tristan, welcome to the Enemies List. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thanks, Rick. This is awesome. I'm really happy to be here.
1: Well, I am glad you're with us because we're entering another phase now of the various Trump prosecutions. Uh, around the around the country it seems you know w- with 91 charges in four different cases um that I- any normal human being would be uh would be trying to make a deal right now but Trump isn't he's still pushing forward trying to bully his way through the whole thing give us your take on where the cases particularly in your mind as an attorney and as a prosec- former prosecutor stand today and then we'll talk a little bit about the book after that
0: so where are we right now? Let's see. We've got, you know, and by the way, we should also uh, bear in mind the, the civil cases too, we've got the civil fraud trial with the New York AG's office right now. We've got the E. Jean Carroll case number two, that's about to start. Uh, but just with the criminal trials alone, uh, the real peril for him in my view is this DC January 6th case. Uh, yes, we are headed to the Supreme court on the question of immunity I feel pretty confident that the Supreme court is not ready to declare the death of the rule of law and the Republic by saying knock on wood, knock on wood. <laughs> we're hopeful that that's not going to happen. Uh, there will probably be a couple of votes for basically taking the Republican shooting it in the head. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be a majority. So I think we're going to get past that. I don't know if it's going to delay the trial hardly at all. Now granted we were supposed to start we are supposed to start jury selection in February and then the opening arguments March 9th. I think we could still make that. But that's the big one in my view. It's going to it's coming first the DOJ really designed that one for speed. I know people would love to see uh, other people uh, indicted in that matter at the federal level by Jack Smith. I think that's going to happen after Trump goes to trial. I think then you're going to see other cases where other people get indicted. Then we move on to the one that I think everybody's forgotten, the hush money case. If for any reason the DOJ J6 case gets delayed at all, the uh, the hush money case is just sitting there waiting. The reason why it hasn't been put for an official, uh, we're definitely going to trial posture, is because they are deferring to these other matters. There is a scheduling conference on that one in February. Um, look, I think that one we can we can get into it further, you know it's not as heavy of a case, but I still think it's a good case, and I think it could suddenly sneak in there but the j but I go back to the j six case at d o j that one has they really made it tight. they didn't try to plead ten thousand things Atlanta they did they went the other direction Atlanta it's a big case
1: Atlanta was like death of a thousand co-conspirators and
0: 8 million things going on. But the uh, the flip side though, is they indicted all these other people and a bunch of them been flipping. And I think that, I think that Chesbro is probably the one that's the most interesting because now he has blown the lid on the fake elector thing and shown right. that it was run directly from Trump's inner circle. Uh, you know and And then the question there becomes, does somebody like Meadows or Eastman, if enough pressure is finally put on him, or Chesbro might be able to testify to this himself. It's like, who or- did Trump order the code red? Did he actually order that fake elector scheme to happen? If he knew about it and gave it the green light, he is screwed on that one alone. So that's interesting. And then there's all the other pieces to Atlanta. But Atlanta is so big and unwieldy. But just even getting everybody into into courtrooms is going to be difficult. So I still feel kind of like that one is, is not the one I'm the most bullish about just because of how big of a case it is with so many defendants and so many claims, so many counts. Um, and then, of course, we've got Florida, and God only knows about that one, honestly.
1: I, I'm not an attorney, but I do know Florida politics and Florida demographics better than any human being alive, probably. And I can tell you, that's a bad area to pull a jury.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it, put it this way. it's In the aggregate, it's blue enough, right? But the problem is that the parts of it that are red are really red, and it just takes one to end up with a hung jury, and then they've got to do a new trial. Trump's not going to get it. we, we got to remember the differences here, because I think a lot of times the mainstream media sort of fudges this or, or doesn't get it. Uh, that doesn't mean he's going to get acquitted. One person no it means it's a hung jury, and they have to do a new trial. Now, when you're talking about this, and the whole America hangs in the balance, we don't have time for it to be a new trial. And then how many trials does it take? So we really want to go in, get out, get done. And that's why I really, really love the, uh, the DOJ-DC case. I think that that one is the one that Donald Trump is hopefully losing the most sleep over that one, I think.
1: I look, I find the, elect- the election fraud stuff in Georgia. I find it sickening. I, I, as a guy who used to have a security clearance, a pretty high one, I find the documents case sickening, but I find the case of trying to organize and encourage a violent overthrow of the election. The January 6th case to my mind, if I, if, if I could only have one, that's the one I'd have just because I think the stakes are clearest there.
0: And they didn't try to over it. There's only a handful of counts there's going to be a lot of witnesses, but there aren't 8 million other defendants and all the problems that that brings and and logistics that that brings. So that's why I really think that that one is the most interesting. And, And by the way, I agree with you on the, you know, as someone who at least had to go through the process and got, but never actually had to use a top secret clearance, I can definitely appreciate the, the gravity of the uh, situation there with the, with the documents case, it, I also find it as as an American just deeply sickening.
1: The risk that he put this country under uh, on some of the documents that are described in the filings, even elliptically described in the filings, just make my skin crawl. And and look, if I had taken home that kind of document when I worked the, at the Defense Department and just kept it. In a box in the bathroom,
0: and did nothing else with it. Right, right. Did nothing nothing. else with it.
1: Just walking out of the building with it would have been sufficient to put me in prison again. But again, I think that case. I think unfortunately, it hangs on a very thin jury read in that part of the country. I just know those people down there, and it's not. and, and, And there's another thing that we discovered in our polling work: MAGA voters have gotten very good at lying to pollsters.
0: And as I said
1: to somebody recently, I'm like, why would you think they're not good at lying into a jury consultant? (laughs) or Yeah, exactly. I mean, why would you think they won't lie? Of course I can determine this case fairly. You know, I I don't have a 20-foot MAGA flag on my boat or anything, but I can do it. Yeah, that's right. But again, going back to the D.C. case, that's the one, to my mind, where if the founding fathers popped out of the sky tonight and said, brief me on what's happening— I think that's the one that would cause the deepest concern and the deepest offense:
0: They would still care about the documents case because they had all gone through the Benedict Arnold problem, uh, so like even at that right. early stage, we knew what it looked like to have you know very secret to- government documents fall into the wrong hands, but yes, you're absolutely right they, the point of the Constitution, well, I mean, there, was, there were other points, too. It was like, do, do, like, can we actually, like, collect taxes and have, like, you know, an army and a navy? There were other things, too. But one of the main animating things behind the entire Constitution was to stop the bad king problem which was the thing that bedeviled political thinkers of that era. And is still a problem today. It is one we'll never get over as human beings. But that was one of the things they were trying to solve for. And that is, in fact, I agree with you. I think that that's the thing that they would just be like, what the hell? And you haven't actually brought him to court yet? What is your problem? (laughs) But, you know.
1: So you prosecuted the Trump uh, University scam case, which was, you know, an obvious fraud from the very jump. And you went after that. Talk to us about how trying that case informed you, or the rules you have to use when you're dealing with Donald Trump because you outline them in the book very, very articulately, the, the 12 big rules that you talk about on how you manage a legal conflict with
0: Trump. Yep, yeah, so the, the key is, and then I kind of I, I basically map it through like, okay, what's the life cycle of one of these matters? And I split the whole thing into three main parts. So we've got leadership, we've got the investigation phase, and then we've got going public. Uh, Where you actually take the case out into the public eye, Uh, and and you know the keys here are a lot of it is that there's also a Trump playbook. It's a lot easier to describe, and it's really the Roy Cohn playbook, as I describe in the book. Uh, You know, for for listeners that that know about this, he was he was Trump's first lawyer, really back back in the '70s and '80s until Cohn died. Cohn Cohn was the actual brain and evil heart of the McCarthy hearings back in the 50s Uh, he then went on to be a lawyer for a lot of mob families a bunch of other things besides he was a uh, a bad hombre we might we might want to say and his playbook was very simple you know delay 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 but like and distract 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 but destroy like that was really the third prong um and there's kind of a fourth one but destroy like destroy the reputations and the courage of the other side go after personally the prosecutors the judge anybody else involved with the case um counter sue if you can you know that's that that's a lot of it too and then the other the other one that i think trump has mastered very much so has been to play to the crowd that's another big piece of it what do you have to do instead because a lot of that is flash and dash and threats and bluster what's the best way to then counter that It's to basically be a, you need to be a bulldozer. You just don't stop. Bulldozers don't stop when you yell at them. Bulldozers don't stop when you countersue them. Bulldozers don't care if you threaten their family or their staff. Bulldozers just keep going. Or you can, you know, you're basically pushing like a very large boulder. And at first it's not going to move a whole lot. But you keep on adding, you know, more, you know, and it's, the analogy breaks down because you're trying to put more stones in the wheelbarrow or something. You're getting your evidence and you're pushing it. And eventually, if you keep pushing it, it's going to have enough momentum that it's going to be able to keep going. But you basically just have to keep on going. You don't stop. You, you grind it out. You play the long game. Uh, you, you go get evidence from wherever you're going to find it. He's going to stonewall you. So you got to go get evidence from other sources. Uh, you need courage to begin with to even start it. And you need to basically block him. If he tries to co-opt you, he, he'll, he tries to buy people off with campaign donations. He tries to, he he tries to work his way into people in the inner circles or advisors of an elected prosecutor's, uh, you know, sort of inner circle. Uh, So you gotta, you gotta be able to, to like, you know, muscle up and stop that stuff from happening first and actually go forward with the case in the first place. How Donald Trump got away with all of this stuff for 50 years, the biggest reason why is because he got, he stopped the prosecutors from ever pursuing him in the first place. That was the biggest thing he did. And none of that is really working for him anymore. Now that I I really think this is true, uh, and I've been backed up on, it's not just me and my ego talking. Like it's also, you know, Michael Cohen has said this to me that like, before you guys, he didn't lose. We beat everybody. We, we, we made things go away. Nothing ever touched him. We didn't even get a lawsuit most of the time. Or if it was, it was against a smaller opponent that we could really bulldoze. After our case, and then the Trump Foundation case that the AG's office brought two years after that, now we see, I think other people see that it's possible. He's not invincible. You can go after him. And I, th- and I tried to lay out sort of like, what are the secrets or, you know, I don't think there's secrets to other prosecutors. I wasn't saying anything that uh, other prosecutors haven't figured out, but just putting it in a book. And, and, and this is really clear, key- clear and key, like make it something that we all can know about, because I think we all could use some hope, but grounded in reality that it's actually possible to get him. I'm not saying it's like a slam dunk, but it can be done, but this is how you do it.
1: That I think is something that there is a, a, a sense in American politics. And I think there was a sense before you guys started that pursuit. And I think the E. Jean Carroll case also put a ding in this idea that nothing could ever touch Trump. He could do what he wanted. And and I think that there is a sort of sense of, you know, he's been covered in this Kevlar armor for a long time legally. And part of it was just he would wear like on all the fraud stuff he did as a as a developer that small ball stuff we we in 2015 dug into like these all these tragic cases of him screwing every vendor he ever worked with all these poor schmucks who would be like getting a letter from you know a law firm saying yes i know we owe you 24,000 dollars but we're going to counter sue you for 5 million I mean, just the intimidation and the bullying and the legal and the legal, like, firepower he would bring into these things. Now he's facing two things I think that are different. One, his actual criminality now isn't ripping off some tile installer in a casino. It's, and now he's facing actual prosecutors like Jack Smith, who are not guys that are fucking around. They are serious people. By and large, they ignore the political noise, the media noise, the threats, and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And one of the kickers, though, about those vendors, so I have a there's a whole chapter in the book about this. One of the rules is to go to those vendors because they can be your allies, because he screws over so many of the people who work for him. And that is an undertapped resource. I think they're getting there now on, like, say, the Mar-a-Lago case. They're actually realizing that a lot of those folks, even if they were still employed there, uh, like Yusiel Taveras, who until recently finally quit. I don't think that the Trump companies necessarily treat their people very well <laughs> uh, overall, and they definitely don't treat ex people or, or their vendors very well. Um, but this was, this was actually how we broke open the Trump University case, was because uh, one of the vendors actually had a treasure trove of transcripts that we needed, that basically proved our whole case. We had witnesses. We had over 100 people that we had interviewed. We were going to have about 50, 60 affidavits that we ultimately filed from consumers giving their accounts of how they'd been ripped off. But we needed to corroborate that. Uh, These transcripts completely corroborated everything the consumers were saying. And we only had about five of these transcripts. Trump had stonewalled us completely. Uh, And we needed to get our hands on. We figured that there were a bunch of them out there. We just couldn't get them. And the way that I, the way that I was able to do it was to get this guy who had the transcripts to cooperate. And he, we, we might've been able to get them from him anyway, but I was able to actually get him to help us because he too had been screwed out of about $14,000 by Trump. Uh, and it had actually been a, a big problem for his business. So, uh, Trump's maybe his greatest weakness is his lack of loyalty. He doesn't care about anybody other than himself, and even the people that take care of him, he does not take care of. Uh, and that's where he, you know, I think a lot of things he's done, he sort of followed a lot of kind of like the mob defense playbook. But that's one thing that separates him from the old mafia families, is that when somebody would, do, would, would have to do time in the mob, the whole, there, was a, there was a part of the code was that that guy's family got taken care of. Sure. They took care, took care, of, them, care of the They family. made sure that they had a home and they had food on the table and, and everything was going to be good. That is not what Donald Trump does when people when people take one for the team. And, and I think it's going to be one of the things that undoes him.
1: Look, I I think you know Michael, my friend Michael Cohen is is the classic case. You know, Cohen has unlocked a lot of things for for various cases on how Trump's MO, you know, applies to these individual cases. And and frankly, if when Cohen got Sent to Otisville, Trump had taken care of the family. It might have been a different
0: outcome. It would have been. I think. It, I, I think it could have been a very, very different outcome there if he. It, and, and that's one of the classic examples, of course. But we're starting to see it in other instances here with with, with some of these other people that have started to uh, that have started to turn. So you know, we'll, we'll we'll see. Jenna Ellis, I'd say that's another more recent example. If they had just if he had just continued to green light jenna getting her legal bills paid she would not i don't think she'd flip i think she flipped in part because like she had to she she, she didn't you know she raised some money on like a GoFundMe fund to, to fund her legal defense but it was like a few hundred thousand dollars you're going to need way more than that if you're facing like a serious criminal prosecution so she, she was not going to be okay. So she didn't really have a choice anymore. I think that really soured the relationship between her and Trump. I think she finally saw the light that he was really in it for himself. And I think that there's a lot of other conservatives in particular that I think are going to have that revelation coming up here. I don't think it's going to be everybody, but I think it's going to be more than have had it up to now that are going to have that light bulb moment of like, wait a minute, he's not actually making America greater. He's just in it for himself.
1: So one of the things that Trump has been doing as his, in his run for president is hoping that he is going to have this global immunity from these cases and even further talk to us about as a lawyer the the extremity of the of the descriptions of what his his legal cases are, are that his lawyer argued this week about immunity because he's arguing not just an immunity from these from these small ball matters he's arguing that Donald Trump could commit murder as long as he's not impeached and, and convicted by the Senate and get away with it. Talk, I mean, I I feel to, to quote the movie Zoolander, I feel like I'm <laughs> taking crazy pills when I hear things like this, but talk to us a little bit about like how far out of the like mainstream of legal jurisprudence is this?
0: This was a situation here where Trump's lawyer just completely walked right into a trap. Uh, and the judge was the, the judge in oral arguments was asking if she posed a hypothetical, and that's always, as soon, a good appellate lawyers know this, as soon as a, as soon as a judge poses, and, and this can happen at trial court too, if a judge poses a hypothetical, that should just be like, whoop, 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 red alert, red alert, red alert. They are probably leading you into a trap. They are trying to find an extreme version of your position, and they're trying to see how you react. Uh, Are they going to be able, you know, sometimes it makes sense to then hold firm and say, no, that position is true, even in the absurd situation you just outlined, your honor, or you actually need to give way because to hold to that position is actually going to be death for you. Uh, This was one where holding to the position was pretty rough, and I actually don't know if he really would have been able to wiggle his way out of it one way or the other, but the hypothetical was Trump as president orders SEAL Team 6 to kill a, a political rival, What ramifications or consequences are possible? Do you still have no ability to prosecute him uh, even after he's out of office? And this is key. Even after he's out of office, do you have no way to go at him unless he is first impeached and convicted by Congress? And he said that as long as the impeachment and conviction had occurred, then a prosecution could take place. And she kept on pushing and pushing and pushing. It's like, you're saying that the impeachment and conviction have to happen first. And he, he finally, he didn't even really ever say yes. He had just been beaten down so much that they, they, they kind of moved on after a while. It was like, you want to see a dead body? Okay, here's this lawyer. Like, it was over. I think that that, that was a pretty brutal exchange. You know, I think we know which way the D.C. Circuit's going to come down on this. And it will probably... Uh, help color where we go with SCOTUS and it'll be interesting to see what some of the justices do with this argument once, when, when it gets up there.
1: Yeah. I think that is, I think that is a fascinating like, example of how they're trying to push the Overton window in, in every aspect of, of how we deal with this guy. So the last question I have for you uh, is the question that worries me the most about the federal cases is the clock. Trump is going to win the Iowa primary next Monday by 20-plus 20 points, 25, 30 points.
0: Are you sure, Rick? Yeah, pretty sure. Pretty
1: sure. <laughs> I'm freaking going to Iowa. It's like the ice planet Hoth. I'm terrified. I'm a Florida. <laughs> it's not like going skiing somewhere or some, some sort of resort. In, it's like not like going to Aspen. This is like going to Antarctica. But anyway, I'm worried about the clock. I'm worried about the day that – when he functionally becomes the Republican nominee, and that day actually, folks, for your for you math geeks and Republican Party electoral rules geeks, that is March 19th. That's the day he will have 50% plus one. What happens at DOJ and Merrick Garland's office and OLC and all those places where they say, all right, now we're in the zone where this is viewed as being overtly political and we have to stop? What's that day look like? And, and will they, are they going to pull the plug on this case because they're afraid of, you know, being told that they're whatever.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And that is sort of that, the, the thing that's hanging over all of this. I don't think it's March 19th that they're going to do it. I think that they, I mean, I'm putting my lawyer hat on here and I think that like, and the, the government lawyer as an ex-government lawyer and how interesting that gets for sort of parsing, you know, fine distinctions. I can imagine a bureaucratic distinction being drawn at DOJ between, okay, the people on TV and on podcasts are saying that he's clinched, like the math is clear that he's that he's clinched enough delegates to win the nomination. That's different from actually being nominated in July. And that's also different from the clock right at the end, right before the election, if we're gonna, you know, sixty days, ninety days, whatever they're whatever they're gonna say now. Like, do we really you know, I, I I believe that they're gunning hard to get that case done before Labor Day, basically, and and preferably before July, I'm betting. Because I think that they would like to just be get get in, get out, get done. That's why the stakes are so high for this SCOTUS thing for the DC circuit thing. This is Trump's last best chance to delay the beginning of that trial. The trial itself is probably going to be a month or two, maybe longer. But I think Judge chutkin's going to try to be keeping it really short. Uh, but you've got witnesses and it's going to be a big deal. Like, it's just there's going to be a lot of stuff. And, you know, if if Mark Meadows or Mike Pence is on the stand and they're running long, you're not going to cut them off. Like, you're going to let them keep going to a degree, um, but at any rate, I think that there, I think that's why they're trying so hard to just get that one in. Because I do believe that if, if, if anything with that is still lingering into September, I think then they're going to feel like it's, it's a dangerous thing. Now, even once you have trial and potentially a verdict, how long will sentencing take? There can be delays there with how long that takes. Usually it's, it's within a few months. So could you actually get a sentencing before september i think that they're i think they're gunning for that too i bet you anything that they are probably they're trying to see if they can actually get a verdict by the end of april beginning beginning of may and that they actually want him sentenced by july or august that that's what they're looking for
1: knock on wood well folks the book is taking down trump by kristen snell it is out on the 30th of this month available where books are sold i liked it enough to write a blurb and I think Tristan is one of the one of the big warriors in this battle to help preserve the rule of law in this bigger fight for democracy. I really recommend you get it. And uh, Tristan, thank you so much for coming on the Enemies List today.
0: Thank you so much, Rick.